me. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 25 today. Want to turn there with me? Lord, we do lift up service to you, God. We pray that we'd have uh, ears to hear and hearts to obey. You know where we're at. So just lift up this time to you. In your name, amen. Last week, for David, it was mission accomplished. Uh, he had the opportunity to kill Saul and or to clear, clear his name, to retaliate or to prove to Saul that he wasn't out to kill, kill him, that he wasn't out to get him. And God uh, impressed on David's heart, and David doesn't retaliate, and Saul is uh, uh, humbled in that. And, and Saul actually, you know, apologizes. He becomes emotional, but there's no lasting fruit. Saul's life. He, he doesn't change. And Saul goes home, we see in the end of chapter 24, and David goes back to the stronghold. He goes to the wilderness. And then we read here in verse 1, it says that Samuel died. And the Israelites gathered together and they, they lamented for him and buried him in his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So Samuel dies. Listen, you know, I was thinking about it this morning. I was thinking about Jacob. And Jacob got to a point in his life, uh, Joseph is sold into slavery. Jacob doesn't know that. He's sold into slavery in Egypt, and, and Joseph's there for over 20 years, and, and Jacob thinks he's dead. Joseph is there. He goes from Potiphar's house to prison to second in command under Pharaoh, and it's all part of God's plan. God moved and orchestrated, but Jacob doesn't see that. And then there's a famine in the land, and he sends his son and, and, uh, and Joseph is there. They have to approach Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph. And Joseph says, hey, le listen, you got to leave uh, one of your brothers here. I think you're spies in the land. Uh, and bring back your youngest brother, Benjamin. And they're freaked out. They go back and they tell Jacob that story. And Jacob is like, oh, my goodness. And, and he says, all things are against me. Every, and that's the way life feels sometimes, doesn't it? You walk through life, and you're looking at the circumstances of your life, and you can't put all the pieces together, and you can't figure it out. How can this be good? How can what's going on today be good? And, and you don't see the full picture, but God does, and God's working behind the scenes. And all Jacob could say is, man, everything is against me, but little did Jacob know everything was for him that God was working every single piece of this puzzle out for him and for his family to preserve him and to protect him. But sometimes we miss that, and we don't see it. And we read Samuel dies, and for David, it goes from bad to worst. He's lost so much. He's lost friendships, his best friend. He's lost family. We're going to find out at the end of this chapter he's lost his wife. He gets two more, but he did lose his wife, uh, Saul's uh, daughter. And, and for David, he's looking at this probably, you know, wow, can it get any worse? Can things, th can things go any worse? And sometimes we look at our lives like that, like, man, how can it be so bad? How can this go this way? Lord, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared. I thought I had a calling. I thought, you know, something was going to happen in my life. And, and Samuel dies. And really, it represents an end of an era. Samuel's a great prophet. He's a judge. And Samuel was a guy that 
rose to, to the scene and came into being at a time of the judges when things, everyone was doing that which was right in his own eyes. There was no foundation. People were just doing whatever they wanted. Samuel comes on the scene and God used this man. He was a man of prayer. He was a great example. People lamented. That means they beat their breast and they tore their hair. They understood what was taking place. The end of an era. And really for Samuel, he, was, he lived a life of impact. He was an example. He's an example to us. He was an example to David. And we need good examples in our day and age, don't we? People to look to. People that we can lean on. People that are in our corner that, that we can talk to. We need people like that. Paul the Apostle was that way. Right? Paul says, the things that I teach, the things that you've seen in me, the things that you've heard, do those things. Paul was a great example. He had Timothy's. He had Titus's in his life. He was a guy that not only what he said was important, but what he did. He was an example. His life exemplified the word of God. He said, you know, in Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Mimic me. That's what the word means. Mimic me, right? You can, you can look at my life, Paul would say, and mimic me. Do what I'm doing. Act like me. Those are great examples. We need people like that in our life. If you don't have one, you need to find one. You need to find people that exemplify the word of God in not just what they say, but in what they do. We need people like that. And, and people in your life, you need to be that for other people. When people look at your life, especially your kids. Your kids know what you believe. They live with you. We're one, we can be one way here, but when you're home, man, they know your doctrine. They know what you believe. They see your life. They see, hear how you talk to your husband or your wife. They hear what you say on the phone. They're watching your life. We need to be very careful. And that's who Samuel was for David. He, and Samuel was a guy that David received his calling, really the path for his life. He's just a shepherd in the field. And God uses Samuel to go to Jesse's house. Hey, go get one of his sons. Nope, not you, not you. Not, don't you have any more, Jesse? Yeah, I got this, this young kid out in the field. Go get him. We can't eat. We can't have this celebration till he comes. And that was the guy. He dumps this bottle of oil on his head. And he's this example to David. He's a mentor. He's a guy that David trusted and loved. And he knew he loved him. He looked up to. He was a counselor, a protector. And now Samuel dies. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6 for a second. Something like this happened to Isaiah. It says this in verse 1 of chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, King Uzziah was a great king. 52 years he was a king. He brought prosperity, protection. People loved him. And he dies here. 
Isaiah looked up to him. He says, in that year I saw the Lord. I looked beyond that king, this earthly king, who was a great example, and I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and, it stood above, and, and above it stood seraphim, and each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, Woe is me, I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But he says, My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphims flew, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. God, Isaiah gets this renewed sense of calling in his life. This renewed vision of the Lord, this renewed place of, man, God, I want to serve you. And sometimes God has to do that. He shakes your world up a little bit. So you take your eye off a man, maybe, or a person, and you get him back on the Lord. And God redirects Isaiah and refocuses him and reminds him, listen, I have a plan, Isaiah. Are you willing to respond to the call? Not many are. Not many people are willing to hear the call sacrifice. God, what do you have for my life? And Isaiah gets that renewed sense. And that's what, you know, Samuel dies, but God's work doesn't die with Samuel. David rises to the occasion. We're going to see everything he goes through. He becomes a better king. He becomes a better psalmist through all this. Things that are hard and tough, difficult seasons, valleys. God is molding him and shaping him into what he's called him to be. And Samuel really is a hero. Samuel's a hero. There's a lot of heroes out there. You know, Hollywood wants to present heroes. The sporting world wants to present heroes. My, my, my son Carter, who's four, uh, I think they were probably on sale at Walmart, bought superhero underwear, and every day he puts a different... He'll put all of them on in a day, actually. He'll put them on and... You know, if he has clothes on, that's what he's wearing right now. Uh, and he's got superhero underwear, and, and he knows who they are and what they're doing. Probably not good, but... Uh, and, and those are, can be our role models. Samuel was a great role model. He's a true hero, a reformer. He's someone who stood up when no one else would. He's someone that, that can be a role model. He's a guy... You know, lots of people, I got saved, I, I, I lived a, you know, a life of, that wasn't good. You know, I, my testimony was bad, and I jumped in at the age of 23. Uh, I was redeemed and saved. Uh, Samuel was a guy that was an example of someone from a very young age. He learned to hear the, God's voice. And he's an example to us that we don't have to walk away. That you can live a life of endurance and just continue walking with God, walking with God, walking with God. And that's what Samuel did all of his days. He walked with the Lord all of his days. 
And we can look to him. He's a true hero. But with his death, listen, the work of God does not stop. It continues. It continues on. And, and David steps up here. He arises. If you turn back with me to 1 Samuel. And David comes on the scene. He arose. And in verse 2 it says, And there was a man of Maon whose business was in Carmel, just not far away. It's a village about two miles away. It's not Mount Carmel in the north. This is in the south. This is directly west of uh, Engedi. And it says he was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. A hundred sheep made you rich, made you wealthy. This guy was very rich, very wealthy, and there's nothing wrong with being rich. There was lots of wealthy people in the Bible, but there is a danger. It can be a danger. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 3. If you guys want to turn there with me for a second. Revelation chapter 3. Jesus writes to the church in Laodicea. There's nothing wrong with being rich. But we're going to see this guy that we're introduced to is much like this, this church in Laodicea. He's blinded by wealth. He doesn't see clearly because of what he has. It says this in verse 14, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. Verse 14, 15. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So, that, so then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You could take church or leave it. You can take Jesus or leave him. You can, you know, some days, you, you know, wake up in the morning and think, ah, I want to, maybe I'll read my Bible today. Ah, I don't know. What else? Let's go golfing. Let's go. You know, you can take the Lord. If you somebody asks you if you're a Christian, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. You know. But if someone asks you, you know, if you, you know, whatever, I don't know, did some sort of sin that, yeah, I do that too. That's fine. I'm okay with that. It's like not a problem. And they're neither cold or hot. And he says, because you say I'm rich. And have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You're wealthy. Listen, so many times if, if, there, if there's excess, you're wealthy, you think, I've got it all together. This is God's blessing. I, and, and you don't really see your need. Sometimes God allows things. We go through seasons of need to realize, man, there's something more than, than toys and money. We need something more. And that's, that's, that's what Jesus is telling the ch church of Laodicea. And unfortunately, this guy we're going to get introduced to here in verse 3, he's very wealthy. But his wealth keeps him from God. There's, there's things in his, in his life that are keeping him from the Lord. He has no need. He sent, doesn't sense any need for God in his life. 
There's no place for it. There's no room. There's no time. He's okay. He's married to a woman who has all the time. That's what her life is spent on. It says this, The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. Abigail is a case study of a godly woman married to an ungodly man. And it really shows us, is it possible for a marriage like that to work? Can that happen? There's a huge contrast here. And couples, you know, we prayed for Lydia and Ian, and I thought about those guys. There's dynamic duos in the Bible. Priscilla and Aquila were, were, were one of them. This is, they, they walked in God's call. And that's amazing when, when your scenario is like that. It's perfect. It's really what you can be all God's asked you to be and called you to be, to be fruitful. And you look at uh, Priscilla and Aquila through the book of Acts. They're amazing. They're constantly serving the Lord, blessing people, loving people, pouring in to the lives of other people, serving people. And it's God's intention. We see here a couple that, that's definitely not up to full capacity. Nabal, we see his name, probably not his given name, but it means fool. Like his parents probably didn't say, well, what's he look like? Hon, to be honest with you, he's on your side of the family. He looks kind of foolish. <laughs> no. Probably somebody, you know, kind of a given name, you know, maybe his, he, he earned that nickname, uh, and it says that he's harsh and evil. Verse 14 says he's a reviler. He hurls insults. Verse 17 and verse 25 says that he's a scoundrel, the son of Belial. And in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says that that's really a devil. That's who the devil is, you know, a son of Belial. And it really means you're worthless. Here's a guy who had so much, so much wealth. Probably the wealthiest guy in the area. And yet he was worthless. He was worth nothing eternally. He had no eternal vision, value, goals. He was worthless. And in contrast, this is the textbook case of being unequally yoked. We see this woman who brings everything good into the relationship. All the love, the generosity, the wisdom, the eternal perspective. She brings it all. Right? She's doing all the hard pulling in all the right places. Every morning, all day, and every night, she's the one that's walking with God and trying to do the right thing all the time. It can be draining. Because there's lots of Nabals out there. He brings the harshness, the evil, the self-focus. No interest in the eternal things. He's greedy, we see. He has so much, he's wealthy, but he's not generous. We're going to see that. But she doesn't have a choice. This is probably an arranged marriage. Abigail means the father, father's joy. Probably her dad thought, man, what a great catch. 
this guy is wealthy. She'll never, man, your mom and I, we had so much lack in this life. We didn't have what, we didn't have everything to give you. Man, we poured the Lord into your life, but man, we couldn't give you the, all the toys that maybe your friends had, but I made friends with this guy and I've arranged a marriage. You're going to marry his son and he's wealthy. Probably, probably regretted it as he sees what's going on. But it says here in verse 3, you know, he's, he's harsh and evil. But it says this about her, that she was a woman. And it says it first, that she's a woman of good understanding, that she's wise, prudent, cunning. She has insight. She has a sense of direction. For her life. And she's beautiful. One of the, one of the only very few people in the Bible that, that says that they're beautiful. She's one of them. Sarah, Rachel, Esther. She has it all, inside and out. And they're unequally yoked, really. She didn't have a choice. Probably an arranged marriage. Listen, we live in a day and age, guys, girls, know who you're marrying. Know what's going on. If she had it to do it all over again, probably would have, she's not looking at money. She had everything. She could have had anything. She's got this guy who's harsh and evil. Doesn't, we're going to find out he doesn't listen, doesn't talk to her. He's not generous, not kind, not nice. He's a reviler. Why well, the Bible talks about being equally yoked. You have a chance. You're looking for a, someone to marry. You want to be. The Bible sees the future problems down the road, the potential of good and the potential of bad. And for her, we're going to see in this chapter, she has the potential really to end it, to stop what's going on, because David is going to, David is going to get furious with the ball and wants, he's going to want to kill him. And she intercedes and steps in on his behalf. She doesn't have to, but she does. And verse 4 says, And when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. So it was a time of harvest for, for people who were farmers, sheep shearers. It was in the spring and in the fall. And, and it was a party, a celebration. They would shear all day. And, and then at, in the evening, it was a party, a celebration for this great harvest that had been coming in. And David had been helping this guy. He's protecting them. We're going to find out. Uh, he was a wall that, that his servant said from at, in, at night and in the day, we lost nothing. David was a help to us. He was helping us, protecting us. Probably David as a shepherd, even guiding them uh, as a shepherd to the best place to go next. And he says, go greet him in my name. And thus shall you say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, and peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Peace 
right? Because it doesn't matter how much you have or what you have, what is often lacking in somebody's life is peace, right? You can have everything and not have peace, and what do you really have? You lay down at night with a garage full of stuff, a a driveway full of stuff, a nice house, but you don't have peace with how you're living and what you're doing. And David says, hey, go tell him, peace be to you, peace be to your house and all that you have. That's the root problem in most people, man. They don't have peace, and you're not going to have peace. You know, uh, Paul would write to the churches and say, grace and peace. The only peace that you'll ever find in this life is through God's grace and his forgiveness, his gift of his son in eternal life. You'll never have peace. There's no way to have it. Everything else is a false sense of peace, a false sense of security. doesn't matter what you have in this life. And he says, listen, I've heard, tell him that I've heard that you have shears and your, sh- and, and your shepherds were with us. We didn't hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they'll tell you, therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come in a feast day. And please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. And it says, when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David, and they waited. And so 10 guys, it wasn't threatening, but David definitely sending 10 guys wanted something. And he says, give me what's left over. And, and it's like going, you go to a party, a graduation party or a wedding, and at the end of the party, everybody overcooks overorders, overspends, over, and there's stuff left over. And that's what David's saying. He's saying, hey, listen, go. Every night there's going to be a ton of stuff left over. They're going to have to recook tomorrow. They're gonna, it's, gonna, it's a celebration. And David's like, just give us what's left over, whatever's in your hand. And these servants go. They're great servants because all they do is they go, they deliver the message, and they wait. And that's what God called you to do. That's what God has called me to do. We deliver the message And it's not my responsibility to get you to respond. It's not your responsibility to get your coworker to respond to the gospel or the message that you have. That's God's responsibility. Your responsibility is to deliver the message. Do what your master says. Speak what he's told you to tell people. That's your responsibility. His responsibility, God's responsibility, sending you, And then the person you're speaking to, that's their responsibility to respond. And they may not. And we're going to see here, Nabal, he doesn't respond well. And here we go, verse 10, it says, And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? And then he says, There's many servants nowadays nowadays who breaks away each one from his master. So he can't just say no He insults these servants. He accuses David. He's harsh. He's reviling them, hurling accusations, insulting, and he doesn't listen. We're going to find out that's that's one of his character flaws. He does not listen. He says there's a lot of people who pray. He knows who David is. There's a top 10 hit being sung all through the land about David. He knows he's the son of Jesse. But he says, man, this guy just broke away. This guy is no real, real servant. Who is he? 
And then, he, and then we, we see here, verse 11, he has an, a, a, a problem with himself. Personal pronouns here, I think there's six or seven. He says, shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they're from? Listen, Satan had that problem, right? The, the disciples in, in Luke 10 came to Jesus and they said, oh, man, we've done all these miracles. We've, we've done all these different things. And, and man, can you believe it, Lord? And he didn't congratulate his disciples like, man, great job, guys. Good job. You guys are, are awesome performing miracles, casting out demons. No, he said, listen, I saw Satan cast out his lightning. There was a pride in Satan. And if you read Isaiah chapter 14, it's the, the, the five I wills of, of Satan. He just, I'm going to exalt my throne. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm better. It's I, I, I. And that can be our problem. That's why Jesus said we need to die. Because he's saving us from us. Because when we're born, we wake up every day, and the first person we think about is I, me, my. And that's his problem. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed and give it to men that I don't know? That's crazy, he says. And David's young men, verse 12, turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. So these guys go back and they tell David what happened. And David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. About 400 men went with David. 200 stayed with the stuff. David is ready for battle. This is an all-out assault on a fool, Nabal, right? Saul came to David, wanted to kill him. He's chasing him like a partridge in the wilderness, David would write. And he spares his life. Nabal insults him and doesn't give him food, refuses to help him in the wilderness. And David's like, that's it, you're dead. right? And that often happens to us. Man, we have this great victory over temptation or something that happens in our life. And, and God does something. And then you know, somebody says something to us at work. Or does something on the road. Man, we're ready to freak out on people, like, get your, who are you to talk to me that way, right? We have this great thing with King Saul, and man, God's testimony. I'm not going to, you know, render evil for evil, and, and, but then, bang, something else happens. That's what happened to Peter, right? Peter tells Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to go to prison for you. And then they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter gets out his sword and lops off Malchus's ear. He was serious. He was really ready to die, to go to prison, defend Jesus. But then he goes to the court where Jesus is there, and a little girl, you know, a young, young maid says, hey, aren't you? What? No. He starts to swear. He denies the Lord, denies that he knows the Lord, right? This other battle comes in, and he begins to deny the Lord. And that can happen with us, right? Something may be a little smaller, and, and we think, who is this guy? Who do they think they are? right? How can they talk to me that way? And that's what David's thinking. Who is this? Who does he think he is? I don't care how much money he has or, or what's going on. And, and really, that's a spirit-filled life. It's not just teaching Bible study or, you know, witnessing. 
It's, it's are you willing to, to do the laundry, to wash the dishes, to speak kindly to your spouse? Like, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Are you willing to do that? It's not just these big things in your life. And then it says this in verse 14. One of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. And they were a wall to us by night and day, and all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. It's interesting. They go tell Abigail. She has good understanding. And, and, and she, we're going to see she protects him. It says, verse 17, Now therefore know and consider what you will do. Like, they're like, Abigail, Nabal doesn't know what to do. What, what are you going to do? Like, we realized, like, the, the, the operation, this thing's going on because of you behind the scenes. And they say, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel, a son of Belial, he's worthless, that no one can even speak to him. He doesn't have an ear to hear. Right? He's an old wineskin. And Abigail made haste <clears throat> and took 200 loaves of bread. <clears throat> Listen, this wasn't missed. This is what they had. This was extra. 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, like 10 gallons, five sheep already dressed, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. And she and her servants... She said to her servants, go on before me. I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. She doesn't want to argue with him. She doesn't have time to argue with him. Probably maybe she's thinking about what Jacob did when he has to leave and go home and meet Esau who wants to kill him. And Jacob sent all these gifts ahead before he got there. Proverbs 21 verse 14 says, a gift is in secret pacifies anger, right? Guys, you probably know that by now. Upset your wife, do something, and like, where is the flower? Where is this? The floor is still open, right? What should I do? And so that's what she does. She has this gift, and, and she says, go on before me. And so it was, verse 20, as she rode on the donkey that she went down under the cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. And now David is, is flipping out. David said, Surely in vain I've protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belongs to him by morning light. David is... <laughs> is about to kill this guy. And James says the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. And sometimes we think we can. Sometimes we're like, we're going to teach this guy a lesson. He's going to learn today, right? And I've never done it, but I'm sure some of you guys have. Uh, but, you know, we get angry and we think that's it. I'm going to stand. I got to stand up for myself. Turn to Matthew 5 for just a minute. <clears throat> Matthew 5, 
Proverbs 25, 28, you stay in Matthew, says, he that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls, right? A city without walls is something that's easily accessed, easily robbed and stolen. And that's what happens. The devil wants you and I to respond in our flesh, to respond out of anger and do something that we're going to regret. And really, that's what, what, what Abigail is going to tell David is, listen, you're going to regret if you do this. She's trying to reason with David. And even though her husband doesn't listen, Nabal doesn't listen, David listens. She's, reason, she's going to reason with him. It says this in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you might be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? The tax collectors do the same. If you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? The tax collectors do that. And that was a shame for for them to be compared to tax collectors. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Right? In Luke's gospel, it says, the way you want, if Jesus says, you know, the way you want people to treat you, that's the way you should treat people. David here is flipping out. He's reacting. He sees red. And we can see that. But it says, when Abigail, verse 23, saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey. Now, this is a very wealthy woman. And it says she fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. She comes in humility and grace, and she disarms David. This is a case study in conflict resolution. Uh, She just comes in humility. The Bible says that a soft answer turns away wrath. And verse 24, she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant, right? She's taking some blame, some responsibility. She says, hear me. You know, her husband doesn't listen, but she, she's asking David to listen. In verse 25, she says, please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. This is what he does. This is how he lives his life. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek your harm for my Lord be as Nabal. Right? And then she says, Now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord Let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespasses, the trespass of your maidservant for the Lord. And and now she she knows who David is. She sees his situation. She understands him. Sometimes that's what uh, your spouse needs, your friend needs, your children need, that you understand them. They still need to be 
corrected, instruction, whatever, but she understands David. This is a rebuke from, from, to, to David from her, but in such a loving way, she understands what he's going through. He says, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Don't worry, David, God is at work, and he's going to give you a house that lasts. It doesn't look like that. You're going from place, one place in the wilderness to another, but you're going to have an enduring house. And because my Lord fights the battle of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days, yet a man is risen to pursue you. She's talking about Saul and to seek your life. And then she says, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. Right? That's, that's, what, that's your life in the life of Jesus Christ. It's protected. It's bound eternally. There's strength there. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And she's reminding him about Goliath and what what God's going to do to David's enemies, what he's able to do. And David, David is, is taking all this in. He's processing all that. In verse 30, it says, And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord, according to all the good that he's spoken concerning you, is appointed, and has appointed you ruler over Israel. So she, she's saying, listen, you'll be king, David. That this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. She's saying, listen, you'll regret it if you do this. You don't want to live with the regret. And David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you to me this day. Blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed, and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, hurting you, unless you had hurried to come to me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. And David received from her hand what she had brought and, she, and said to her, Go in peace to your house, and see, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. And that's what people want. They want to be heard and respected. They wanted, that's how people know love. If you're listening, respecting someone, that's how people know love. And, 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 and David said, listen, I heard you. I respected your person. And Abigail went to Nabal, and there, and there he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. So he either had a heart attack or a stroke. And it says, then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. And that's God's grace, that she was probably ministering to him that whole time, speaking the truth to him, that he didn't die right away separated from the Lord. Who knows what God did? The Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, right? That he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And David heard that Nabal was dead, and he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and he has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned 
the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. So David doesn't waste, waste a lot of time, but he sees, listen, God is better at vengeance than you because God knows. God knows the whole story. He knows if someone's going to repent or change. And when the servant of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David has sent us unto you to ask you to become his wife. And she arose and bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And really that's, that's our call in this life, to just be servants, right? Our expectation, God, I just want to serve you. And if that's your expectation, it's hard to be offended. If that was David's expectation, God, I'm just your servant. I'm the, and that's what Jesus did, just a servant. Hard to, be, hard to offend a servant when you're at the, already at the lowest place you can possibly be. The lowest position in a home is someone who washed the feet of people that came in. And that's what she says. You know how I, you know how I could live with Nabal? I just, I just was his servant. God, I served you by serving this guy. I served you by becoming the lowest servant in the house. We're wealthy, could have had anything, but I just wanted to become a servant. That's how you get victory in this life. Lord, not my will, yours be done. I want to be a servant. And that's what she says. Yeah, I, you know what? God, I'll do your will. And Abigail rose, rose in haste and rode on a donkey and att attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. So David's not wasting any time here. In verse 44, it says, Saul had given Michael or, or Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. So Saul is continuing to try to hurt David and hurt David and hurt David. And, and David has got a lot of hurt in his life. He's lost Samuel. Things are tough. He's in the wilderness. But listen, it can look bad. It's the way it looked for, ja for Jacob when, when, when uh, he sent his sons to go get food. Man, everything is against me. This is so hard. Little did he know everything was for him. And that's what's going on in David's life. David is in the refiner's fire. He's on the, the wheel, the potter's wheel, and God is molding him and shaping him and turning in him, him into the king that he's, he's going to be. And we've got to remember that when we go through things in this life, that God is molding you. He's exposing areas of your heart that he wants to change, that need to be changed. And David sees that. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it, God, the, the, the reality, God, that you want to apply, apply it to our life, Lord. We don't want to just know it, know about it. But, God, we all go through different things. That Man, your word is, is life. It gets us through this life. By your spirit and, and, and the truth of your word, Lord, we walk through this life with your help. And so... Uh, we want to give you our hearts. God, you look beyond the external shell, and what we're going through and, and how we look, and, and, and you're the one that searches the hearts and you try the reins and, and you examine us, God. You poke around in areas that, that, that 
sometimes are uncomfortable, uh, but it's all for the good, changing us and molding us, and we thank you for that, God. So we give you full access. We give you our lives, Jesus, in your name.